0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie a fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have two parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our Femenile match at the weekend against Juventus, and in part two, I'll go back to the men's game and preview our first game after the international break, which is against Torino. So let's start with the Feminile. At the start of every match in the Serie A Feminile this round, the match officials wore orange t shirts and orange banners were displayed showing the FIGC and Indifesa logos on it. Indifesa, which means defenseless, is a campaign run by Ter de Homme to raise awareness of discrimination and gender based violence. They're active in a number of countries and this is a really important cause. They deal with everything from infanticide, early pregnancies, child marriages and trafficking of children the campaign was held this past weekend because october 11th was international day of the girl child moving on to the match this was a weird fixture in the sense that on paper this looks like a battle between rivals which we all know about in the men's game in reality though juve are not a big rival in the women's game and that's mainly because they are so far ahead of us in many respects but especially in terms of results Juve came into this match with 29 consecutive victories in Serie A, a streak which dates all the way back to February 2020. That includes a perfect 2020-21 season. The only games they lost during that stretch were to Barcelona in the round of 32 in last season's Champions League and to Roma in the semifinals of last season's Coppa Italia. But all hope was not lost for this match. Even though Juve ultimately beat Roma, it took an 87th-minute winner, so that showed that this team can drop points. Juve have also been the busiest team in Serie A because of their participation in the Women's Champions League. This year's edition of the Champions League is the first to feature a group stage in the women's game. To qualify for the group stage, teams had to play two qualifying rounds, the first of which was a series of mini-tournaments with four teams in each tournament. Juve beat Macedonian club Kamenika Sasa in the semi-final of Tournament 5 in the Champions path, then they beat Austrian club St. Poulton to advance to the second round. In case you're wondering, the other Italian team to play in the qualifying rounds was Milan. They beat Zurich in the semi-final of Tournament 1 in the league path before losing to Hoffenheim in the final. In the second round, Juve drew Albanian club Vilaznia in the Champions path and beat them 3-0 to advance to the group stage. Juve ended up in Group A with Chelsea, Wolfsburg, and Swiss club Servette Chenois. So, all of that is just to say that Juve have been very busy lately. They played their first match of the group stage against Servette midweek, so they came into this match on short rest. They also had to look forward to their big match in the group stage against Chelsea, which was another midweek fixture immediately after playing against Napoli. Meanwhile, Alessandro Pistolesi had a few additional weapons at his disposal. Both Depi Nikolaou Nicolaou and Evy Popadinova were back to full fitness, and Soledad James finally completed the registration process. She goes by the name Sole, so that's what I'm going to call her as well. Joe Montmuro rested a number of key players ahead of Juve's midweek match against Chelsea. I'll compare this starting eleven to the one he fielded against Roma in the previous round of Serie A because I think Montemore rested players for the Servette match as well. The match against Roma was a huge one in Serie A so we know that that lineup would have been his preferred starting eleven. Juve lined up in a 4-3-3 with Roberta Aprila in goal, Martina Lenzini and Cecilia Salvai started at centre-back, Amanda Nilden started over Lisa Boatin at left-back and Tuya Hurenin started at right-back. Sophie Pedersen started in the center of the midfield with Anahita Zamagnan to her left and Ariana Caruso to her right. Caruso started over Martina Rosucci, who's the preferred starter on the right side of the midfield. Zamanian played on the left because Montemura replaced his entire front three, which meant he needed his usual left midfielder, Valentina Cernoya, to play up top. Cernoya played on the left wing and Agnese Bonfantini started over Lina Hurtig on the right wing. Finally, Andrea Staskova started as striker over Claudia Girelli. For Napoli, Pistolezzi made three changes to the squad that he fielded against Milan. He stuck with his 5-3-2 formation with Yolanda Aguirre in goal. Paola Di Marino remains the preferred option in the center of the back line with Hedden Corrado to her left and Emily Garnier to her right. Sedia Bramson started at left wing back and with more attacking players at his disposal, Pistolezzi dropped Kaya Ertz to play as the right wing back over Francesca Imprezabile. That change made a lot of sense to me. Imprezabile is more of a fullback than a wingback and in truth she has struggled so far this season. Pistolezzi used the same midfield that he deployed against Milan with Sofia Colombo on the left, Sara Gonzalez in the middle and Eleonora Goldoni on the right. Finally Sole and Deppi played together up top. So those were the starting lineups. Next let's get to the match. The match could not have started any worse for us. Juve opened the scoring straight from the opening kickoff. Zamanian played the ball out wide to Cernoya. She crossed with her left into the area where Caruso got between our center backs and she headed into the bottom corner with Aguirre's momentum carrying her the other way. Garnier seemed to think that Di Marino was going to pick up the run so she played in front of Caruso but Di Marino was preoccupied with Bonfantini at the back post which is why Caruso was left on mark in front of the goal. Things went from bad to worse with Juve adding a second goal in the fifth minute. The play started with Zamanian firing a low hard shot on target from about 25 yards out. Aguirre did really well to stop the shot because if she didn't that was ending up in the back of the goal. Unfortunately she wasn't able to push the ball out of play and Chernoya was the first to the rebound to double Juve's lead. It looked to me like Ertzen was expecting Agita to push that ball out of play so she pulled up just for a second and that slight hesitation allowed Chernoya to get to the ball first. Credit to Napoli though, the match easily could have gotten out of hand, but we settled down and we kept the scoreline respectable. In fact, there was a brief spell in the first half where we pressed high and forced Juve to make mistakes. To me, that was the key takeaway from this match. If you want to take points away from Juve, you have to go all in with the press and why not? What do you have to lose? Especially if you're in the bottom half of the table, Juve will make mistakes when they are pressed. In this match, we saw Soledad press goalkeeper Aprila, and she kicked the ball straight out to touch. Shortly after that, Salvai cleared the ball straight to Colombo at the left corner of the box which gave us a free opportunity to shoot. Unfortunately, she rushed her shot a bit and wasn't able to hit the target. Finally, a minute later, Depi nearly chipped the keeper from 40 yards out, but her shot finished on the roof of the goal. So if you press Juve, they are liable to make mistakes. That's easier said than done though. There's a reason why they haven't dropped points in so long. Around the half hour mark, Pistolezzi made two changes which were undoubtedly intended to bolster the attack. He replaced Corrado with Ariana Acuti which facilitated a change in formation to a 4-2-4. I thought for sure Colombo would be one of the players to come off because she was involved in what looked like a pretty nasty collision. She appeared to take either a fist or a shoulder to the head and then stayed down for a while after the collision. Fortunately, she was okay, but unfortunately, the changes didn't really work. Besides that brief spell Juve created all the chances, Bonfantini was finding ways to get behind our back line and her teammates were picking out her runs with through balls and long balls over the top. About midway through the half I believe it was Caruso who played Bonfantini through, she tried to chip Aguirre but Aguirre caught the ball rather comfortably. Earlier in the match, she made a great run into the area, absolutely burned Di Marino and fired on target, but Aguirre was well positioned to make that save as well. Aside from that play, I thought Di Marino had another solid performance. Actually, a minute after that chance, she made an important slide tackle to clear the danger and prevent Bonfantini from getting yet another opportunity to score. Bonfantini's best chance came in the 28th minute. Again, she linked up with Caruso with a lovely give and go into the area but Aguirre was quick off her line, made herself big, and stopped the shot. We see Aguirre do this week in, week out, and as much as I'd like to see our friend Kelly Cavado play, Aguirre deserves a ton of credit. She was excellent in this match as well. She's great in the air. She's definitely not scared to go up for the ball. We saw her do that on crosses from Hiranen and Corado around the half-hour mark, and then again on Nilden in the second half. So after Juve scored twice in the first five minutes, The first half ended with the same score and the second half was far less eventful. Juve were quite content to control the pace of the match and we really struggled to create any clear-cut scoring chances. Our best chance didn't come until the 83rd minute, Goldoni played a lovely ball to Sola in the area to set up a free shot for the Argentinian, unfortunately she did not make good contact and the shot finished wide of the mark. All things considered i thought sola had a pretty good debut she's a big forward but she's also very athletic she used that height to win a couple of headers in the area but both times she got under the ball she's very good at playing with her back to goal and holding up the play and she's not shy when it comes to shooting either which are all attributes of a true number nine she tried shooting from long range about midway through the second half and actually didn't miss by much. She did seem a bit off the pace, but that's completely understandable considering this was her first match since joining the club. In the 69th minute Sole played Goldoni into the area and she went to ground but the penalty wasn't given. I thought we were robbed of a penalty at the end of the Milan match, but on this occasion I think the official got it right. There was very little contact and I thought Goldoni went to ground hoping to get the call. Those were really the only chances we had in the second half. Juve, on the other hand, had a number of chances, particularly in the final 15-20 to 20 minutes. Staskova's volley at the near post just missed the top corner. Staskova had another big chance after Abramson played an errant pass back into our own area intended for Garnier, and Aguirre bailed her out with a sliding save. Then in the 87th minute, Charnoya took a powerful shot from distance, but Aguirre punched that out as well. So this match finished 2-0 for Juve, who were the deserved winners. With that loss we've now dropped to 10th in the table which this season is in the relegation zone. Now I wouldn't get too alarmed just yet as Pistolezzi pointed out in his post-match conference we've played 6 matches so far and 5 of them were against top sides. We've already played Inter, Fiorentina, Roma, Milan and Juve so the only team in the top 6 we haven't played yet is Sassuolo. We've got a couple of matches upcoming against teams that Pistolezzi calls our direct competitors, meaning teams we will be battling with all season to avoid relegation. Though I think Sampdoria could find themselves in the top half of the table because they've looked very good so far and that's who we will play next. We're currently tied with Empoli on 4 points. Empoli nearly came back from a 3 goal deficit against Sassuolo but ultimately fell short to losing 3-2. Sofia Cantore scored 2 beautiful goals to help Sassuolo maintain their perfect start to the season. Hellas Verona remained below us after losing to Fiorentina 3-1. Hellas scored first but Fiorentina were the better side. Karin Lundin had an excellent match. She already has 5 goals on the season. That's level with Cantore and only 1 behind Capocanonera leader Valentina Giacinti. Lazio also remained below us and bottom of the table after losing 2-1 to Pomigliano. Lazio have really struggled in their first season in the top flight. They've lost 6 out of 6, they actually scored first and then Pomigliano picked up a red card with the score tied 1-1 but still managed to find the game winner. The big match of the round was Milan-Roma which finished 1-1. This was a really entertaining match, both sides had their chances, unfortunately that result only helps Juventus. Finally, Sampdoria beat Inter 3-0. Inter started the season with three straight wins. Then they had a match postponed due to a COVID outbreak in the team and have since lost both of their matches. There won't be any Serie A matches this upcoming weekend. That's because the group stage of the Coppa Italia kicks off. A quick note on the format. The Coppa Italia Femminile is composed of Serie A and Serie B teams. There are eight groups of three teams and the winner of each group advances to the knockout stage. Napoli are in Group B with Serie B club Fortitudo Modugnano and Empoli, which wasn't a terrible draw. Obviously, Empoli will be our biggest competitor, but at least we avoided all of the top teams. And I think this is a very winnable group. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll go to the men's game and preview our match against Torino. Da mamma porto dam dammin da lì Da mamma morto dam dammin da lì Donna casa trova mamma mo' campa st'mbast Donna casa trova mamma mo' campa st'mbast Sta facendo in nu casa di laburo tutta stanza man basta mamma mo' basta basta mamma basta mamma mo' basta basta mamma basta mamma mo' basta basta mamma mo' basta basta mamma basta Sifrata mamma metto, damma dammi da guscì E si frata mamma metto damma dammi da ghi La fastidia mamma mi mentre non basta, basta La fastidia mamma mi mentre non basta, basta Sta facendo casa della dura tutta stanza Mamma basta mamma come basta, non basta, mamma basta, mamma Come basta, basta, mamma basta, mamma come basta Basta mamma come basta, basta, mamma basta, mamma come basta Basta casa delle con faccia non azioni Next, let's preview our match on Sunday against Torino. Torino come into this match sitting in 11th place with 8 points. Of course, the big change for Torino this summer was the signing of Ivan Juric to be the new manager. That decision appears to be paying dividends. Torino's results are not that far off from Hellas Verona's results at this stage last season. Hellas were 3-3 in 1-7 through seven matches last season. Torino are 2-2-3 two, two, and three at the moment, which is an improvement compared to Torino's position at this stage last season, but not quite as good as Hellas Verona's. Mind you, Hellas had a really strong first half of the season last year before completely tanking in the second half. Also, Torino have had a really difficult schedule to start the season. In the first seven matches, they've already played Atalanta, Fiorentina, Sassuolo, Lazio, and Juventus. After Napoli, they have a run of 10 games where 8 of them are very winnable, the other two being Milan and Roma. So I think by the middle of the season, we could well see Torino sitting in 9th or 10th just below Sassuolo. I know we've all moved on from last season, but we can't preview this match without mentioning the points we dropped to Juric's team last season. we were one of only 3 teams to take points from us in both fixtures last season, the other two being Inter and Sassuolo. So this will be another good test for us, not just for the players but also for Luciano Spalletti. We've talked a lot about how Spalletti has instilled a winning mentality at the club. This is a match that will test that mentality because we all know how defensively Juric likes to play. There will also be the added pressure of maintaining the perfect start to the season. If Spalletti wins his match, he will tie Maurizio Sarri's record of 8 consecutive wins to start the season, which I believe is a record for Napoli at least in the De Laurentiis era. He would also inch closer to Rudy Garcia's Serie A record of 10 wins to start the 2013-14 campaign. Of course, neither Sadi nor Garcia won the Scudetto in those seasons, so maybe that should be a lesson for anyone who's counting their chickens before they hatch. Granted, those were very different times. Juve were dominating the league and Serie A was far less competitive back then compared to how competitive it is today. As far as the squads go, both teams will be missing players due to injury or because they're playing in World Cup qualifiers in South America. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Torino typically line up in a 3-4-2-1 formation with Vanya Milinkovic-Savic in goal. Gleason Bremer, who's been linked to Napoli lately, typically starts in the center of the back line with Kofi Gigi to his left and Ricardo Rodriguez to his right. Rodriguez picked up a knock representing Switzerland on international duty so I think Napolitan Armando Itzo will start on the right side of the back three. Itzo scored just two goals last season, but one of them was against Napoli. Another Napolitan player who will likely feature in this match is Rolando Mandragora. He's one of Torino's regular starters in the center of the midfield. In all likelihood, Tommaso Pobega will be the other central midfielder. Juric prefers to start Ola Aina on the left side of the midfield and Wilfried Sango on the right side of the midfield. Christian Ansaldi does start occasionally on the left, so we could see him start over Aina. The front 3 is where things get very interesting, between injuries and common bowl world cup qualifiers, Torino could be missing a number of players, Marco Piazza is still recovering from a muscle injury so he's not expected to be in the squad, likewise Simone Verdi will be out with a strained femoral bicep, Antonio Sanabria and Thomas Rincon are not expected to be in the squad either, they're playing in world cup qualifiers on Thursday, by the time you hear this they probably would have already played. Sanabria is representing Paraguay in their match against Bolivia. That match is at 4pm local time, which is 10pm in Italy. Rincon is representing Venezuela for their match against Chile. That match is at 8pm local time, which is 2am in Italy. That means both players will not get back to Italy until Friday night, so they'll only have one training session before the match on Sunday. Andrea Bellotti has recovered from his ankle sprain, but he will most likely be on the bench. And Simone Zaza returned to training about a week ago after recovering from a muscle injury. So, taking all of that into consideration, I think we'll see Sasha Lukic and Carolinetti play as the two trequartisti with Zaza as the striker. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti will line up in his usual 4 3 3 formation. With David Ospina playing World Cup qualifiers as well, Alex Meret will start in goal. Meret was with the national team for the Nations League semifinals and finals, but he didn't feature in either of those matches so he will be well rested. Both games were played in Italy as well so he didn't have to travel too far. Ospina was amazing in Colombia's 0-0 draw to Brazil on Sunday, he was easily the man of the match there. He'll be back in action on Thursday for Colombia's match against Ecuador. We know he could theoretically get back to Napoli in time for this match, as he did during the last international break to be available for the Juventus match, but with Meret now healthy, there's no need to rush him back. Kalidou Koulibaly and Amir Rachmani should start at centre-back, though I wouldn't be too shocked to see Kostas Manolas in the starting eleven. he will certainly be the most rested of the three. Koulibaly captain Senegal to back-to-back wins over Nambia to advance to the 3rd round of World Cup qualifiers. Amir Rachmani captained Kosovo to losses to Sweden and Georgia. They're bottom of UEFA Group B so they will not advance to the next round. Mario Rui will be well rested to start at left back and despite playing the full 90 minutes in both of Italy's Nations League matches, Giovanni Di Lorenzo will have to start at right back. That's because Kevin Malqui picked up a muscle strain about a week ago in training so he'll likely be out for this match. You never want to see players get hurt, but that could open the door for Fauzi Goulam to make an appearance in this one. Fabian Ruiz, Frank Zambo, Gisa and Piotr Zielinski should start in the midfield, whether it's a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. Angisa played the full 90 minutes in both of Cameroon's World Cup qualifiers, both of which were wins against Mozambique. Cameroon are one point behind the Ivory Coast in Group D, with two matches to play. With a draw to Malawi, they would advance to the third round of qualifying. Zielinski was on the bench for Poland's 5-0 route of San Marino, but he played the full 90 minutes in Poland's 1-0 victory over LCT side's Albania. That was a really important win. Poland and Albania will battle for second position in Group I, assuming England win the group. England are currently top on 20 points, followed by Poland on 17 and Albania on 15. Albania still have to play England though, so I like Poland's chances of advancing to the second round, which is the playoff stage. In the attack, I think we'll see Lorenzo Insigne start on the left wing. He played only 58 minutes in Italy semi-final against Spain and only 1 minute in the 3rd place match against Belgium, so he'll be well-rested. I think Matteo Politano will start over Chucky Lozano on the right wing. Lozano played 3 times during the international break. First, he played the full 90 minutes in a 1-1 draw to Canada, Chuki assisted on the lone goal there. Then he played 89 minutes, scored a goal, and assisted another in Mexico's 3-0 win over Honduras. Finally, on Wednesday, he played 70 minutes in Mexico's 2-0 win over El Salvador. Finally, Victor Osimhen will likely start up top. Osimhen played in both of Nigeria's matches against the Central African Republic. Nigeria lost the first one 1-0 and won the second 2-0, including a goal from Victor. Nigeria are top of the group and need at least a draw against bottom of the table Liberia to advance to the third round of qualifying. The only other Napoli player to represent his country this international break was Elif Elmas. He played the full 90 minutes in both of North Macedonia's matches which were a 4-0 win over Liechtenstein and a 4-0 loss to Germany. Germany will most likely win the group but it looks like Romania, Macedonia and Armenia will battle to the end for the playoff spot in Group J. They each have two matches remaining and one is North Macedonia against Armenia so that could be a key match but both of them will need Romania to drop points in one of their two final matches to have a chance to advance. So that's my starting 11 and my international recap all in one. Let's move on now to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is that we need to break down the low block. It's no secret that Torino is going to set up to defend and look to strike on the counter. Torino have conceded only 7 goals all season. Only 2 teams have conceded fewer goals. That's us at 3 and Milan at 5. Torino also rank amongst the best in the league in other defensive categories. They're first in the league in interceptions, they're second in the league in aerial duels won, and they're first in the league in fouls committed. That last one sounds like a category you don't want to be the best at, and that may be true, but what that also means is there will be a lot of stoppages in play. And that means it will be difficult for us to develop any kind of rhythm. As usual, there are a few ways to break down the low block. One is to play quick passes, which requires a lot of movement off the ball. Another is to spread the ball to create space. That can be done horizontally by switching the play, or it can be done vertically by playing the long ball. I suspect the latter will be more difficult to achieve because I do not expect Torino to press us on the ball. I think they're going to give us our own half and play with 10 men behind the ball. In an attempt to negate Victor Osiman. My second key to the match is we need to take advantage of our depth. I noted all the Torino players that are either missing or just returning from injury. I mentioned some of our players as well. Malqui is hurt and Ospina will not likely be in the squad. Stanislav Lobotka just started training in the field, so I doubt he'll be fit to play. Adamunas is still doing physio and personalized training, and Andrea Petania picked up a thigh injury on Wednesday in training as well, so they are not likely to be in the squad either. That said, most of our injured players are backups and we have depth at just about every position. If you consider Ospina and Meta to be our 1A and 1B goalkeepers, our entire starting 11 is still intact. I'm a little bit concerned heading into this stretch of 7 games in 22 days because if we lose any more players, then we could have some problems. Even with the absences for this match, we still have Mano Last that can spell either Kulibali or Rachmani. We have Diego Deme that could give Fabian or Angisa a rest. We have Elif Elmas who can replace Zelinski or Insigne should they be struggling to produce. We have Dries Mertens back now who can replace Zelinski if we need to bolster the attack, or he can replace Osaman to give us a different look in the attack. And we have Chuki Lozano who can give us fresh legs on the wing. I think Chuki will be the wild card in this match, whether it's Ola Aina or Christian Ansaldi starting at left back. I think Torino will really struggle to contain Chuki coming off the bench against their tired legs. My final key to the match is to stop Sasha Lukic and Josep Brekalo. I don't talk too much about advanced analytics on the pod but in this case I think they will be useful. The most popular metric is XG. For those who don't know what XG is it stands for expected goals and simply put it's just a measure of the probability that a shot results in a goal. That probability is based on certain characteristics of the shot like where the shot was taken from, what body part was used, the type of pass that was played before the shot, and so on. An XG of 0 represents a certain miss and an XG of 1 represents a certain goal. According to Statsbomb, Sanabria has the highest XG on Torino by a wide margin, which suggests that he gets the best chances but as I mentioned, he's not likely to be available for this match. Lukic and Brekalo are 2nd and 3rd, followed by Piazza and Linetti and Piazza is also not going to be available, so if Torino are to score, it seems most likely that the goal would come from either Lukic or Brekalo. Brekalo is also amongst the top players on Torino in shots per 90 minutes. Another player to look out for is Wilfried Sango. He's had a very strong start to the season and for some reason, it seems Mario Rui has a tough matchup every week, but to his credit... He's won most if not all of those matches so far. For my prediction, I'm gonna go with a 2-0 Napoli win. I'll give the goals to Fabian Ruiz and Matteo Politano. Like last season, Torino have had a bad habit of conceding late goals. They gave up a 93rd minute winner to Atalanta, a 91st minute equalizer to Lazio and an 86th minute winner to Juventus. If we can score 2 goals in this match, it's hard to believe that we won't win. It won't be easy to score two, Torino are averaging only one goal conceded per match, but even one goal may be enough to secure the three points. As I said, we've conceded only three goals all season, and Torino are averaging just over one goal scored per game. Torino are getting goals from a variety of sources, but four of their nine goals this season have been from players who are not expected to play in this match, and that doesn't include Andrea Belotti's long goal this season. So that will do for this preview, I hope you enjoy the match. That will also do for this episode, if you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend and give us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at joe underscore fisket d5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at fortzanapoli pod. I took it easy during the international break, but that's because I knew we were coming up on a very busy part of the season, so you'll be hearing from me quite often. I'll be back next week to review this match and to preview our next one, which is a big Europa League match against Legia Warsaw. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! The night of the night of the night of the night adoro the night ingrato what? are Podcast Network.